with the neurovirus there oh yeah yeah well no it was they went to a new cruise line actually the first two shows which i actually missed the first two cruises it's italian i think it's an italian line and um well you know economics the uh it went from pay last time like 13 almost 14 it's almost two grand now wow so, okay, we got that. And then drinks are separate. You know that. So and let's round it off to about three, three and change. Then the flight there and back, uh, 250 you know. Hotel the day before because these, these things leave really early, you know. So you think it's been $1,000 on drinks? <laughs> no, no, no. No, 300 Okay. Let's say 300 But But the, the flight. You know, and then the hotel, and you know, we haven't even bought anything yet. Of course. You know, and, you know, last night, you know, you don't buy, t- I've learned my lesson. Three of those cruises in a row, I'm the world's worst procrastinator when, like, I, re- I know I'm really going to buy something and I'll get it later. Except on these ships, um, you forget that there's people with stuffed wallets. And, 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 you know, you're trying to make ends meet. You're like, yeah, yeah, they, they have enough. This is a really cool shirt. Well, I like that band. I'll buy that CD. And you you go day two out of uh, six, seven days. And it's like, oh, there's no more of those left. Are you kidding me? And then I bring somebody on the damn boat. So I can get any more. <laughs> yeah, you're on the boat. There's a, you know, and, and, and I'm like, really? Holy shit. You got a website? Uh, not really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or if it's a Japanese band, you know, it's it's even tougher. And uh, or a Finnish band, you know, from Finland or, or Norwegian band. And uh, there was a lot of good, you know, can't deny that. And uh, there are actually Simonetti's Goblin is on there, first time, which I've seen. Uh, the other guys were touring, then they canceled the tour. They were they were going to do some shows in New York in small clubs. So I'm waiting for that to start up again. Uh, Curved Deer. I really like them. They're on there. Some more metal prog, which is like the thing now. I Two bands I've seen before, I'm like, meh. They're very good. They're very talented, fast guitar players, and they they get into a zone where you can hear all the prog influences and stuff, and then they get into this thing where it's like thrashy, and I'm like, meh. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like I like the stuff you've been putting out there, by the way, on FB, and you know, and, and, and my my tastes are all over the place. But when you're concentrating on on a sound, on a, and you get into this, for me, it's like a Zen oral moment, and then you're doing something else, and it's like, yeah, you know, it's like okay. That's you know. what I was gonna tell you, because the stuff that I'm into when it comes to Prague, 
is all from the 80s and the mid-90s. There's actually a couple of labels over in Greece, and they just dig up all these demos and EP-only bands, that, kind of like U.S. Power Metal was before, where they really didn't have much presence out there, but they were known locally somewhere. And I guess these guys are on message boards, or I don't know what the deal is, how they find these bands. But they dig all these things up, they restore the demos, they get some rehearsals, whatever the hell else, throw it out there as a CD, and this stuff is great. It's all kind of like Queensryche Clemson Glory goes down to the level of like a lethal in a sanctuary, goes mm-hmm. down to the level of, you know, something like these other bands, and some of them are really, really good. You'd be surprised, like, wow, how these guys never break? But it was because it was the mid-90s, nobody gave a shit. It was like after Metal went out of favor and they had all grunge and crap, but before the prog really hit with the uh, Dream Theater stuff. That stuff I like a lot, but the modern stuff, like you said, a lot of it is dream theatery, and I never liked them. I'm sorry, they're just too elevator music although, for me. Although he's an amazing fucking drummer. Oh, guy. he is. No, I'm not taking away from the talent musically. You know, yeah, but he's just, he doesn't play with them anymore either, though. Um, the technical skills are way up there. It's just, ah, I'd rather hear their wives' mean streak. That that was a much better album to me. <laughs> well, uh, I was gonna say, oh, you know, it's funny because I remember the first the first two I was on. It was a band called Frost. You know, they're a friendly guy. Like, hey, who are you here to see? And, he, and these people, like older folk, you know, long, long hair and shit. Like, you know, the, the wife has been around the road a couple of times. <laughs> Frost. We're here to see Frost. We came from Canada. Frost. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, my God. And then I saw them. Like, these guys don't belong in the screws. <laughs> you know, they are so metal. You know, yeah. I'm like, uh, uh, that's the other half of what's popular now is you get all these people that came out of like the death metal scene and whatever else. They were yeah. following like late Chuck Schuldiner and like, I don't listen to that crap. I can't. I love early death. I love early Gorguts. When they started going tech and prog, like, oh, turn this shit off. It just doesn't work. It's, you know, and I'm a guy that's sitting there listening to Zap all the time. So you got to figure the balance here. Like, where does the prog end and where does the metal end? You know, mm-hmm. you can't really mix them together that well. But you know what? So I, I, I couldn't afford it. Uh, I don't know about next year, you know, because you got to lay out a lot ahead of time, too, mm-hmm. you know. And then I, to be honest with you, I don't know if I won't want to go because the virus yeah. and flying. And, you know, I, I, I'm getting to the thing where, you know, it's only a three-hour flight. Well, uh, six hours, you know, both ways. I hate flying. And I'm not a biggest fan of flying, but I'm just not a fan of flying. And there's a virus in flying, and there's the yep. virus in the ship for 10 days. And, yep. then, and then there's this, and there's the, I mean, you know, it's just... And right cruises now. lately, I mean, my wife can't even swim, but she was always like, jeez, oh, I would never want to take a cruise now, because every other week, even before the virus thing happened, it was, you know, suicides and disasters and some kind of thing being spread through the food or, mm. you know, they had a fire or they were stranded or it's like, what the hell? I don't know what's going on mm. nowadays, but quality control is low. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So then we'll get going. Okay. All right. The Weird Seeds Inside the Gold Mine, your guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, sign up for the brown coats as we talk Firefly and Serenity on the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. Good evening and welcome.
welcome to the final episode in the ninth season of Weird Tunes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, hello Lewis, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Tune in, turn on, take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television, right here on Weird Tunes Inside the Goldmine. How are you doing today, Lewis? I, I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm shiny. <laughs> so essentially while Buffy was still limping along on air and it's more divisive final seasons and apparently so was Angel though I've never actually latched onto that character or series at all Joss Whedon started branching out into other areas right around that time he started writing the X-Men comics among other things but he also developed and launched what he saw as both a space western and some odd homage to Blake 7 namely Firefly Apparently, despite what turns out to be a really well-developing band of plot threads, the series was canceled quite early, 12 episodes into a 15-episode season. Supposedly, it was all about ratings. It was pretty low on the Nielsen's at the time. And I will say that they did air at least some of the episodes out of order, and that makes all the difference with this show. I can tell you myself, on prior attempts over the years, because I had this recommended to me so many times since it went off air by various people. I mean, like several people said this. You were actually one of the big pushes towards the end. We'll get to that in a minute. On prior attempts over the years, I started by skimming the Serenity movie. Well, that's a really bad move. <laughs> then I did another time where I watched about four episodes, three of which were the final episodes of the series. Someone had actually swapped in the set, disc four for disc one. Bad move. And this one actually turned my wife off of it as well. She didn't even want to watch it. Anymore. I'd already gotten converted. And I said, look, i got to watch this again for the show that you're interested. And she's like, no. It was only when I had given it another try, after a lot of ongoing urging from you and my pal Keith, both of you were hugging at me equally about this. You'd love this show. You like this. You like that. You really love the show. you got to see the show. Yeah, well, I tried it several times already. It didn't fucking work. All right. <laughs> but you guys are pushing so much. I'm like, all right, let me just take it out from the library for like the fifth time. <laughs> see what the hell. And I finally saw the series in order. And then I got it. And I fell madly in love with the show almost 20 <laughs> years late. Almost 20 years late, mind you. So, even so, Posthumous fan support grew so vocal and sales of the DVDs were so impressive at the time that Universal greenlighted a sort of capper to the series, which was the theatrical Serenity. Which, as I kind of hinted at, I have some different problems with. Yeah, I do too, and when we get to that, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, the only plus about it is it does tie a few little sins along the way, but it's not the series capper you're hoping for, that's for sure. Uh, well, uh, just just to let people know, and this is going to be probably for the end of the show, it probably won't be one of our three-hour marathons no, today. So. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the things is, uh, yeah, they want to, they want to end the show because they never got to the way they wanted to. You know, normal shows around this time period, normal series seasons were uh, 20 to 22 episodes, more or less. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we're used to like six, right? But one of the problems with Serenity, and again, we're going to get to that more in depth, was they want, they want to end it and they want to make a big screen version of the show. But they also did a, a sort of revamp of what we saw and uh -huh. squeezed it in there and they... Mm, we'll get to that. <laughs> and I don't know how they did it. Again, this is jumping ahead, but the CG looks so much worse. It's like, how did you do that? It was a TV show. The CG looked better than the theatrical. God. Mm. Anyway, the bottom line is, if you enjoy the intricacies of early Buffy and the strong attachments that you develop with its core characters, then shift that to a more post-apocalyptic sci-fi series with an undeniably strong Western aesthetic. Put down whatever you're doing right now and go watch the series in order. It's not just good. I mean, there's a lot of series that I really liked over the years, like Forever Night, She Wolf of London, Constantine, or as I mentioned in the intro, the Doom Patrol, which we should talk about for one of our famous bonus content bits sometime. When 
when you see it. This is a series that really works on all levels. I mean, it's just firing on all cylinders, has the right people in the right roles. I mean, it's not Blake 7, but I can see why people might say that. This is more of a family as in you create your own family, like I always say. Outsiders and strangers who band together and through shared experience become tight and important to each other, share secrets and passions and fights with each other. It's the same thing as early Buffy, but in a very different world and marketed to a very different audience. In a lot of ways, it's the same as the Doom Patrol, but again, that's a bigger, crazier, and more pointedly absurdist story. So, is there anything you wanted to start off with before we start going into this? Yeah, I mean, this and this is the thing that made Nathan Fillion... <laughs> What of a name he, he is. <laughs> the name he is. Like, you know, okay, we got who who else is a, a guy up there with this kind of like whatever Nathan does, it's so, it's got that Bruce Campbell type aura around it. You know, like if Bruce Campbell shows up in something, it's like, Oh, it's Bruce Campbell. Now Nathan has the same kind of thing, thanks to the show. Hell, there there it's it, the thing with why you bring this up is anytime something cool comes along with the potential for role that might fit this guy because he's quirky. He's got that Bruce Campbell kind of third eye thing going on, that <laughs> fourth level, you know, breaking the wall. And what was that That game, that video game adaptation? Oh, oh that's shit. a fact? <laughs> no, no, no. The the one that's – they just cast Spider-Man in it. Oh, Jesus. I didn't care for it. But anyway, so Nathan – everybody wanted Nathan to be it instead – they cast like a really young kid. Uncharted. Oh, okay. Uncharted. You know the Uncharted series? I know Uncharted. the video game series. Yeah, I didn't know they made yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah, the video game series. They're going to make a movie. And everybody wanted Nathan for the part. That would have worked. It would have worked. Instead, they, they got Spider-Man. And so, right, you he's know. a kid. He's a, like a teenager. Yeah, I know. And how they can fit that stuff with his wife? and uh, That doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense. So they, they, the guy who plays the older guy in the video game, yeah, it would have been fine for if it was Nathan. All right, you didn't give him the lead, give him that part. Instead, it's your friend of mine. Who? Marky Mark. <laughs> Marky Mark? Yeah, uh, fucking disaster. Well, they consider anyway. him a good actor now, which is really funny to me. But <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's done a lot of good work. People <laughs> give him a lot of shit, but I, 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 he's done good things. But the point I was making, because of the show, Nathan is now like that Bruce Campbell thing. You know, like people think of him when they see something cool coming up, something quirky, something odd. But he hasn't gotten it yet. Everybody that came out of this one up more or less doing nothing, which we'll get to eventually, except for Marina. Yes, yes, we'll get to that. In terms of the show itself, what do you think one of the appeals was? They had a few notable guest stars for so shortly the series. And we're talking about 12 episodes came on air. That was it. You had Larry Drake from L.A. Law in the episode Shindig. You had, and he was actually really good there. You had Zach Efron, of all people, as the young Simon in Safe, and he wasn't bad. They had Return of the Living Dead's Mindy Clark, of all people, and the Canadian Nancy Drew, Tracy Ryan, in Heart of Gold. I don't know how well they did. I guess Mindy was okay as the head hooker, if you will. Tracy didn't do so well as the, the wronged one. That's basically on the guest stars. So... The basic story of the Firefly series is there's this huge civil war between the Resistance Browncoats, who want to keep the plants and the system independent, and these sort of communist, fascist, sinister multinationals of the Alliance, who are the effective empire of the series. Of course, being a smaller band of ragtag soldiers, the Browncoats do eventually lose, leaving survivors and sympathizers to spend their time and lives further and further out at the outskirts of the galaxy, somewhat akin to the westward expansion in America back in the 1800s. You know, you stake claims further out in no man's land because it was more lawless. 
The Alliance also left its mark on the language, and also to a lesser extent clothing design of the series, where everyone keeps slipping into Chinese, of all things, in place of cursing in English. And the outfits fall somewhere between spaghetti western couture and something more elegant and decadent, which at times leans a tad Asian as well. Mm, the, yeah. the ship itself is run by Mal Reynolds. I'll give a rundown of the actors, where they were known from previously, and what, if anything, did to note hereafter in a minute, but let's just talk character at the moment. This guy was a brown coat sergeant, and he had his right-hand woman, Zoe, who since married into the ship's pilot, Wash Washburn. Mal's a bit of a hard-ass, but he has his own code of ethics that he stands by, and he's always thinking of and protecting the ship and crew above all practical or pragmatic concerns. He winds up kind of like Pa Walton, if you remember the Walton show from the 70s. Not just in terms of his poor dress sense, where he's always walking around these bad long johns or what have you. Zoe's kind of his lapdog. You know, whatever he says she does, she doesn't even bother to ask how high she just jumps. This causes some major issues with her hubby, Wash who's more of a smart-ass jokester type and nerdy. At one point, he famously yells, what this marriage needs is one less husband. And an entire episode revolves around him misguidedly going on a field mission, and while they're both getting tortured because they got captured by this one weirdo, taunting Mel into sleeping with her to get it out of his system, which, of course, neither of them has any inclination to do. That's not what their relationship is really about. But the actual couple seems attached to the hip, mainly due to sex, to be honest. The next important player here is Kaylee, who's the ship's mechanic and a goofy farm girl type, the kind that they used to make those farmer's daughter jokes about. She's completely obsessed with sex, and despite being a tomboy who cares more about chips and parts than male appendages, seems to want to be a Disney princess or something. She gets all worked up over finery and dresses, and the doctor she thinks is so high class, continually prying into Inara's work, which we'll get to in a minute, and dropping lots of references to being sexually frustrated and having to use a vibrator to get by. Not kidding yeah. Yeah, yeah. She gets a great episode where the snooty rich girls mock her. She's got a peasant dress she's all excited to buy, only to have her draw most of the guys on the dance floor instead with her gearhead talk, kind of like those girls that learned to talk sports in the 80s just to be on the guy's wavelength. The last of the major players is Anara, who's a high-class hooker that people book in advance. They call them companions, and not only are they registered with the government, but they seem to be protected and confer some measure of social status and privilege to the ship just by virtue of the fact that they're traveling with them. And while we're not talking the actual players yet, this girl's a stunner. I mean, it doesn't exactly hurt the whole scenario. Like I said, it's one of the reasons I was watching it in the first place. <laughs> the entire show revolves around the unspoken, but often more than hinted at mutual attraction between Captain Mel and Inara, which everybody else picks up on, and one or the other will finally lay on the line, only for the other one to suddenly back off or be oblivious for whatever reason. You know, typical TV show, will-they-won't-they bullshit. But there's definitely something going on there. And then we come to the three stooges of the cast. Man, this is part of the problem with the Serenity movie. Plus, The Shepherd makes four. They're more bit players, though we didn't seem to be trying to make one of them the locus of the plot, per se, and what a mistake that was. Anyway, first we have Jane, who's a crook and a mercenary. He's bloodthirsty, low-class, obnoxious, and stupid. He betrays them all at least once. He makes crass comments that repulse and scare away the ladies. He threatens the other males. The guy's a fucking piece of work. But I, I you know, I liked Adam Baldwin in this part. And it's, I don't know what he's been doing of late, but, wow, he's, he's actually, he's 57 now. It's interesting. But he, he, he came out of nowhere. He was a my bodyguard. Do you remember that? And, and, and 1980, and, and I, I remember, that was a movie where some, maybe it was Matt Dillon, who knows? I think it was Chris Makepeace, remember him? <laughs> oh, Chris Makepeace, you were right, you were right, Chris Makepeace. And uh, so his kids uh, being, uh, you know, tortured in school, and then this big looking guy with an army jacket, you know, became, <laughs> saved him, was getting his ass kicked <laughs> one day. And, and the thing was, this movie really, I guess, resonated with teen audiences at that time, 1980, and it did very well. And all of a sudden, this guy like shot up out of nowhere. Didn't make him a star though. He he hung around the fringes. He was in a weird part, Full Metal Jacket. Turns out he's an oddball. This is as odd as 
the best actor winner for Joker? I don't know. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is is sort of a character, uh, but he's done a lot of interesting things. Like uh, besides Full Metal Jacket, he showed up in Predator Two, which is actually a very enjoyable picture. He has a nice part in Independence Day, the first one. He did this show, and then he just really drops off of the face of the earth. I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. I Maybe he retired. He's very much a liberal. I don't know, or because he... He, uh, he was. Yeah. He, he flipped. <laughs> he flipped? Okay. He was very much a liberal. He became a big Ted Cruz supporter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, there was that. Marina, who you mentioned uh, earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's Brazilian-American, whatever that means. It's like, okay, I'm going to put some more uh, something in this rice. Um, <laughs> you know, for the role she was playing, so you thought she was super hot, and I thought she was very interesting in the interesting way. But who knew in the first Deadpool movie we yes. finally got to see her everywhere. <laughs> That's where I saw her first, but, yeah, I'll get to them later. I forgot yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, it's her. Wow, she looks super hot all these years later. And uh-huh. then, like, she's full nude, full frontal. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I liked her. Alan Tudyk, who was Wash, interesting guy. He's done a lot of stuff I actually really like. And quirky, everybody's quirky. I, I kind of interrupted myself in that. So Summer Glau, which I guess you were just about to get to. Close. Then we had Shepard Book, who's a preacher with the past. Unfortunately, while Strong hinted at many times for the series from various characters and some actions and discussions within and outside the crew, his backstory is never really explored. And that hot mess Serenity barely had a minute before killing him and several others off him. It's even worse looking CG than the TV show had, like I mentioned. And finally, we have the two that I'd rather forget, which is the brother-sister team of Dr. Simon and Reverend Tam. Essentially, he's a young hoity-toity ex-surgeon on the run from the Alliance because he stole a precious cargo, who turns out to be his sister, who they've experimented on and given her special powers. She's a fucking ninja or some shit when she gets a code word through TV ads. She's a mind reader. She's a super genius. She's just a weird-looking schizo through most of the series, and the superhero bullshit feels absurd and tacked on. I'm sorry. I really, really don't like these two, and it's painful to watch old Kaylee throw her affections and self at this guy, only to have him constantly cluelessly stepping all over her feelings and putting her down, but I even realize what an asshole he is. Well, well, I think one of the problems is, as we as we begin discussing the show, one of the problems is, is like his allegiances are all over the place. He he rats on everybody so you know so often during the abbreviated season, and and he becomes untrustworthy so often than not. Yes, I I know. Why is Kaylee so much into him? I, and I don't he's get, so he's toity and it's like. You know, I actually spent the entire series wanting Jane to gut him, like he's threatening to do for other reasons, and take his fucking sister with him. Well, no, he's a good-looking guy, and the Kevin Spacey probably did him up the ass kind of way. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just, he does. He looks like one of those guys, like I'm sure Kevin said, did I show you acting 101? <laughs> so, no, so, so you're, you're laughing because this probably fucking happened. Uh, Summer Glow, she's interesting, though. When you say in this show, and in Serenity, she looked kind of Asiatic because she definitely gave off facial features like she was – she had some Asian heritage in her. And the funny thing – well, to me at least. And the funny thing was as she aged, it disappeared. <laughs> um, I mean because if you look at her now, she doesn't look anything like she did. Yeah, I, we all age. I get that. Yeah. But she really looked – she definitely had some like blood in her that was definitely Asian. 
I think that was something they were they were trying to play on too with that kind of like you know ninja esque thing you know and her psychic abilities. Ron Glass's book you mentioned very interesting character you know he's never explored it enough. He's never explored enough because there's a lot of dichotomies going on there. He's a very he's very much I call him book because he's very well read. He knows a lot of stuff and he's very much into the Bible which actually plays into the, the show uh, on and off. Not not in a way that would, like, alienate anyone. No. It's just, like, he, he pulls stuff that makes sense. You know, that's a, it's a good book, right? We're not going to joke about it. It's a good book. There's good stories in there, you know? And if you're really pissed uh, off at it, you can always side with Nathan there because he's just like, don't talk that stuff in my presence. He's like, you mind if I say grace? He's like, as long as you don't do it out loud. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. You know? it's, 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 the throwaways are so great. Ron Glass. Barney Miller, you know, that's where the guy comes from. Nice that, you know, they kind of they kind of threw a bone to somebody who, whatever he was doing there. But that's the thing. So this is the thing about the show. You have action, you have conscience, and I'm stealing this a bit. And you do have spirituality. And, the, and then you have this family thing. So all these people, we may not like all these characters or some of the actors who portrayed the characters, but this definitely pulls out this family thing, which is like a family of misfits. Thank you. Yes, that's the word. Well, the show had another secret weapon, which is technically not part of the cast, but since she shows up twice, it's worth mentioning, which was Christina Hendricks. Now, I remember a lot of false <laughs> making a big stink out of her on Mad Men. And you know there's no way in hell I'm going to watch some fucking show like that. But I tried. Damn. If there's anything in the show to take your eyes off Marina Bachran for a bit, she's it. And her whole seductive thief shtick takes that whole cat one, black cat sort of thing and amps it up exponentially. I can't picture any red-blooded male not falling for her shtick. Even the second time around when everyone knows better, it's fitting that the one to slam her in the dumpster at the end of her last appearance is none other than Marina Bachran. Yeah, Chris, Christina Hendricks. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to date pretty pretty heavy with uh, a witch. Uh, well-placed witch, by the way. Who also ran the Mad Men fan club. Uh-huh. And invited me one day. We're having a party. They're all going to be there. I'm like, I'll show up. Like, you missed them all. They were here. Oh, too bad. <laughs> uh, no, she was hardcore Mad Men person. She was a very famous witch, actually. And I try watching the show just to be nice. I'm like, this is fucking terrible. Yeah. Well, and, and so I saw clips of Christina Hendricks. I'm like, wow. But I still couldn't watch the show. Yeah. And then I saw this movie with Ryan Gosling, directed by the guy I name-checked before, Nicholas Wendy. Yeah. Oh, what his fucking name is that guy? <laughs> and it's called Drive. And it's a pretty good movie. It's it's pretty much dialogue-less. Gosling's really good. And she plays this woman he meets along the way. And she's just stunning. She stunning. Really stunning person. And like I said, she does that seductress dick. Like, oh my God, I've never seen somebody pull off that. Oh, and the innocent little girl, or, you know, okay, you know I'm a slut, but you want me anyway thing. I'm like, oh my God, how the hell can anybody that's straight avoid that? I mean, even knowing better, you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I should, but all right. <laughs> so. Getting back to somewhere you were going, which is the stars and where they came from, where they went to. Mm. Nathan Fillion, who is Captain Now, 
he's from other Whedon series, so Whedon liked this guy. He was already doing kind of like Sam Raimi did to uh, Bruce Campbell. He had him in Buffy. He had him in Doctor Horrible, and he actually went with Felicia Day, who was in the uh, the last two things I just mentioned in the Guild for her uh, famous web series before he started falling to shit like Desperate Housewives and God knows what. I think he's kind of a potential unfulfilled. He's starting to go in the direction you were mentioning, but you know when you wind up in stuff like that, that's not really a <laughs> type A. Like, oh yeah, I'm really making myself uh, what I want to be here. Desperate fucking housewives, jeez. Anyway, Gina Torres, who was his right-hand woman, uh, Zoe, apparently she's a vet of that Cheesecake for Geeks thing, Cleopatra 2025, that nobody watched. <laughs> Everybody remembers that one. Whedon used her for Angel. She voiced Vixen on one of the Justice League cartoons. And Pride did the best of the cast afterwards by winding up in a recurring role on Alias. I actually remember her from my wife watching that. There's like a couple that she was friends with, mixed couple. And she was always over there. And then later on, it turned out that she was like an enemy spy or some shit. Or, or an enemy spy had killed her and taken her place. Yeah, she did a, she did a lot of TV work, which is surprising because she, she is quite good. Yeah. And, and she has dick-sucking lips like you wouldn't <laughs> I knew you were going to mention her lips. <laughs> Holy shit. Did you know she was married to Larry Fishburne for 10 years? No, I didn't know that. As yeah. soon as you started going on about Mike, he's going to mention the lips. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be the major impresario sleaze if I did not. Hey, my wife was known for her lips, too, so... <laughs> So, <laughs> Alan Tudyk, he mostly went up doing cartoon voice roles, but he recently delivered a very Mark Hamill as the Joker performance on what I had mentioned earlier. was one of my favorite of any modern TV series we've come across, or perhaps the first three seasons of Elementary, as Mr. Nobody on the Doom Patrol. I mean, okay, it is what it is. You know, it's not maybe what you would expect, especially since he was really kind of channeling Mark Hamill. I don't think he's doing himself. But, yeah, I'm very impressed with just that show in general. So the fact that he was there is like, oh, okay, here's something that he was already doing before that that I like. Cool. Oh, he's 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 done he's done a lot of good stuff, though. Uh, he's done A Knight's Tale. I really like that. Heath Ledger, 2001. Really good film. That's the medieval thing with contemporary music from... Queen and ACDC. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it. He was also in Tucker and Dale versus Evil, uh, which if you, my co-host, have never seen that, you should check that out because that is so twisted. It's I remember seeing the trailer for it and thinking, oh, that's interesting, but I never saw it. Yeah, it's like you think it's a Texas Chainsaw Hillbilly horror, and it sort of goes that way, but it's not and it's it's probably along with whedon's feature film cabin in the woods i think it is probably one of the most underrated weirdo movies ever made yeah we'll get to cabin in the woods later marina bacharin he's actually italian and portuguese stunner out of brazil will always be deadpool's woman vanessa that's actually where i first saw her and fell in love with her Mm -hmm. but She also voiced the Gideon computer in the goofy new CW Flash series, apparently. Not in the Legends, which is different. They get some British girl for that who occasionally pops on camera. Very attractive. She'd have her on camera more often. Uh, But on the Flash, she's done this. And she's apparently also done a V revival series and was involved with that awful Gotham show. Don't ask me. I wouldn't watch the thing if you paid me. But you had mentioned she was in some other stuff as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, She popped in in, well, we know the two Deadpool films, especially the first one. Oh, the first one. Yeah, (laughs) jeez. Uh, that was my heart. Yeah. <laughs> she was in Stargate S- SGI, recurring character. Yeah, V, three years of recurring character. I guess we weren't paying attention. The Flash, 
uh, four years as a recurring character. And Gotham, uh, another show that's been on for a long time that neither one of us watched, uh, a recurring character. But so the first also, episode was terrible. <laughs> she also stays stays busy by doing uh, voiceovers for video games. Um, yes. Kind of shocking. Do. Yeah, it's kind of shocking because, frankly, um, she's still young. She's only 40. And, um, yes, when we get older, we say only 40. Um, <laughs> what, do you no, think it's old? She, Boy. She, she, she looks terrific. Yeah, you know, man, it must be choice to, to work like that. Anyway. So uh, next up, Adam Baldwin. And yes. I actually, at the time, couldn't remember, but I did look it up afterwards and find out it was him. Adam or Steven, who's the crackpot right-winger and Ted Cruz fan, but wouldn't be shocked if he's the one, and he was. Given his dumb, always ready to stab you in the back, gun-nut mercenary role here. The most distasteful character in the show, bar perhaps the Tams, his entire career appears to be cartoon and video game voiceovers, though he was on X-Files for a bit. Predator 2, he has a nice juicy role, full metal jacket I mentioned. He has a very... Uh... Big role, Independence Day, and the sequel, uh, which is not entirely terrible, but, uh, you know. But then, mainly, it's voiceovers, which is, the team's be thing for these guys. It is, they're all seem to be doing it. Voiceovers, and and, and maybe it's lucrative, video game voices. Video Uh, games and cartoons. Video games and cartoons, yeah, it's, it's very, it's unusual. He looks, again, he looks good. Kaylee. Yes, Jewel State. She only did two series anyone will ever have heard of, as far as I'm concerned. Stargate Atlantis and The Magicians. I didn't watch either, but I've heard people talk about both. She did about 20 years, hardcore TV, just appearing here and there, popping up in roles. Um, she's been married, and then divorced, and they're married, and divorced. <laughs> she's still young, believe it or not. She's only 37. So she was very young when she did the show. She even showed up in the X-Files episode in the third season. It's probably concurrent from when this was made. I don't know much about her, but uh, she seems to work pretty steadily doing occasional TV work. Pretty boy, Sean, when he's not hanging out with uh, Kevin Spacey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a that party was a of five with the new crappy CW Nancy Drew's Scott Wolf. That's all I found of note of him. <laughs> yeah, um, a steady guy shows up pretty much once every year. Then he had a five-year disappearing gig. He would show up in TV stuff. Uh, he's on Gotham, the show we don't watch. He uh, he came out in 2011. Big surprise there. <laughs> um, no, but he, but he came out in a big way. So that's why I'm mentioning, folks. So no, no dig. He just wanted to publicly came out. He's married, and he has. they have two adopted children. Hey, more power to you. Okay. Summer Glau, his sister, apparently, in the show. She was on the Sarah Connor Chronicles in Arrow, though I don't remember her being in the latter. So yeah, she was. She was. She was in the Sarah Chronicles. <laughs> Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> Sorry. What are you drinking today? <laughs> I, not very much. Really? Um, but she was in most of the run there, and so uh, there was a thing. But it was a mistake to do that show without, you know, who. It just didn't work. She did with infrequent TV things. She was in Woo Assassins. And I, <laughs> I have to talk to you about this show. It stars that great guy who was in the Raid films, the Indonesian actor. And, and I'm, I'm waiting for him to get his first major American picture. You know, he's been showing up in some director DVD, director streaming stuff. The guy's amazing. 
great martial artist. Just give me a second. Oh, I'm going to get back to her. You're going to love this one. Eco Uwei. He was in the first two Raid films. You know, the Raid? Great films. So I'm watching this thing because, oh, wow. He's got Netflix series. Yeah, way to go. He's the lead. He's learned English really well. He's surrounded by Asians. Okay, another plus. The fucking, the terrible amateur actors. I mean, so many people. So, <laughs> there's a water, there are water, it gets very confusing. People go in and out of characters. They go in and out of beings because it's, what's one of those things? So, I'm saying, who is this terrible fucking actress playing the guide? She's she's a uh, uh, she's a guide through these worlds. He has to enter. <laughs> it's her. The figures. She wasn't very I, good here as the schizo. Well, apparently she she stopped acting for about four years. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, maybe you forget what you know, and it could be. I guess I'm not knocking her because we know Firefly has lots of fans. They're gonna firebomb our doors. Oh, yeah. People get so uh, excited. I remember reading some article with a fanboy who met Summer Glau on a train. And made a big deal. I'm like, who gives a shit? She's horrible. <laughs> well, yeah, I wouldn't say she's horrible. Uh, again, she's 38, so she's very young. She's, uh, you know, doable age. Um, thing was, uh, she's got Irish and German ancestry. But when she was very young in the show, she definitely gave off an Asian thing. So I don't know where that came from. I don't believe I imagined it. I uh, you may not have seen it either, but, you know, I'm built that way. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely Ron didn't Glass. see it. <laughs> so, uh, yes, Ron Glass, <laughs> who was in Barney Miller. <laughs> I was like, when you talk about this Asiac, I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, whatever. I saw sure. her. <laughs> I just saw her weird skull. And you ever see the things? Because she was playing a schizo, basically. So half the time her hair would be all pulled back and all ratty, and she'd be laying in the corner, like, huddling herself or whatever. And you'd see, like, their forehead. I'm like, what the fuck happened here? They pull her out with forceps or something? <laughs> it was a strange-looking head. Anyway, uh, Rod Glass was in Barney Miller. And honestly, that's kind of his big thing. He was already kind of dredging the bottom, voicing a character on Rugrats when Whedon scooped him up. But again, it's nice to see these kind of veterans being given a second chance. And he was actually really good here, which is why it's doubly disappointing that they never really investigated his character. I thought he was a much better, like, secret what's going on than freaking Summer Glau and the Tams. I mean, who cares about them assholes? (laughs) So it was really kind of disappointing they never got to him. Uh, He had a lot of potential. Uh, yeah, and and he passed away in 2016, November, uh, at 71. He was already pretty old when he did the show, so, yeah. And then Christina Hendricks, who was, you know, again, bit player, but she was there twice. A uh, saffron. Yeah. She was on ER for a bit. She later went to Mad Men and did the voice of the sexy Unity on a memorable Rick and Morty episode, if you remember that one. She's done other TV series, but probably nothing you ever heard of. <laughs> and that's it on the cast. Uh, anything else you want to say about her? Besides the fact that she's smoking hot. Um, you normally don't go go for girls who have like huge racks, but no. But I do have a thing for redheads, and she's not. I don't. Know, I hate to say it, but a lot of the girls are just trashy nowadays, especially on TV. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. doesn't have the trashy vibe. She came off mm-hmm. kind of like, all right, I can do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, she has a huge rack. <laughs> And not, like, being, you know, big and beefy. She's just kind of like this little thing that's like, okay, she's well-proportioned. <laughs> she's mature, too. She's milky. She's 44. Ooh. Well, not when she did the show, but... <laughs> oh, now. No. But, yeah, even so, she still looks good. 
All right, don't go, oh, don't go tracking her down now. <laughs> I'd probably go tracking down Marina first, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I figured we just kind of go skim through the episodes and see if it yes. brings anything up. So the first one is actually a two-parter, and that was Serenity. So technically, it was probably like the TV movie when it came out to introduce everybody, and that's really all it does. I mean, I think there might be, if I remember, where they kind of flash back and forth. Here's how we got here from where we are now. You mentioned earlier at the outset of the show that they they. It's almost like the fucking network sabotaged the show. Oh, yeah, they ran it out of order, which is part of the problem they, I mentioned. They ran out the intro two episodes, which are a two-parter, folks, out of order. Yep. Part one was aired five episodes into the season. <laughs> and like I said, if you watch this thing out of order, you're not going to like it. At least we didn't. Part two of the two-parter called The Train Job was aired first. Yep. But, but part one called serenity was aired much much later in the season uh then they took off you know sort of like the walking dead does with this bullshit they took off like six months and then they came back for a few episodes it was the most bizarre thing it was like it has a fan following today it didn't grow out of nowhere it had a following before but it was almost like the network didn't like the show Yeah, Yeah, they tried to sabotage it. So, Serenity, the first show, go ahead. Well, basically, it is just introducing all the characters and how they got there. I mean, they show, if I remember the episode correctly, because, again, there was another one where they had some flashbacks. But they show them doing the brown coat thing. They show them getting together. Mal finding the ship. Apparently, he's already got Kaylee. Oh, no, wait. He just found them stowing aboard the ship. She was screwing some other guy, some, like, surfer dude, who I guess was supposed to be his tech. And while she was busy putting her clothes on, she corrected him on parts and everything else and showed she was a real gearhead. And the guy's like, dude, we don't need two, like, engineers, right? And Mal's like, yeah, you're right. Get out of here. You're gone. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, you know, there's always still his right-hand woman. And then I guess they just kind of dropped in because we never see anything about their romance other than just jumping in the bed and thinking every five minutes and being jealous of the Mal-Zoe relationship. Wash, wash, burn. They're doing his thing up front as the pilot. Then they start showing people coming aboard. Like, okay, now Inara needs a ride somewhere. And, oh, you don't know, just come on this kind of ship. So there's not a lot to it. But without this as a setup, you're walking in the middle. And sometimes you can do that. But a lot of times, especially with this series, you just don't get it. Especially with some characters being unlikable. There's a lot of backstories. There's a lot of why is this person against this? What the hell's going on? I know there's a trend among millennials and younger that they think this is great. Figure your way out of the puzzle. I hate that shit, personally. And I think the art of exposition is a dying art. And it really, in this series in particular, you have to watch these episodes in order. You can't say, let me watch number three and then number two and then I'll watch number seven and number one. It doesn't work. The series will not work for you. Well, yeah, and this is the thing that Sam Raimi was guilty of. God loves Sam for doing what he does, but he was very much guilty of this when every time he made a sequel to the Evil Dead films, he would reboot it. Yes. But uh, the law of exposition, exactly. Because you couldn't watch two without seeing one. You couldn't watch three without seeing two. But he, they were virtually remakes. And then when you got to the short-lived two-season thing, which is pretty wild, they remade it again. <laughs> but you, if you watch that without seeing the other three or four, you were lost. So, you know, it's, it's a thing. And Josh Whedon, he, has a, yeah, he shares some kind of affinity with, with Raimi and the way he works. So next up was the train jump. It, it's such a quirky one. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the only other one where you've got a recurring character, which is this uh, 
I call him a serial killer. He's kind of like a mob boss that hires them to do a job. Which yeah, is he shows up every so often. And he right. shows up every so often. He's, he's almost like the Scorpius of the series, those of you are Farscape fans, but not quite that gay. Anyway, the episode itself is okay. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't think it would be a great intro to the series by any means. But it was. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's the problem. It was, uh, it was their first telecast show, yeah. It's basically just them doing this job deciding to take it, going for it, saying, oh, well, you know, if we don't do it, this guy's going to come after us, he's dangerous or whatever. But no, we need to go and help. Who the hell was it? It was some kind of medicine thing. Or maybe they bring it to a village that needed it. I forget. It was, yeah, it was medicine that they needed for uh, for something. I mean, there was some good stuff in there. It wasn't a terrible episode, but it's not no, not no. a way to introduce a brand new series to anyone and, and talk about, come on. Man, <laughs> it was almost a throwaway episode among the the fifteen episodes, much less the ones that aired. Sure, um, not yeah. that it was terrible, but you know, this is not the one I would have started on. Then you got Bushwhacked, which was they actually do a Star Trek sort of thing. Like, oh look, here's a derelict ship. Oh crap! He's, he discovered this whole thing about the Reavers and how they it's a Ghost of Mars thing. Freak out and start carving tattoos all over himself and wearing the bones of their enemies and cannibalizing people and doing all kinds of weird tortures on them before they kill them and whatever else. And they're finding all these bodies in all these horrible positions positions and whatever else. In the meantime, they're finding what they went there for, valuable salvage they were digging up. Because that's what they do. That's part of the... They see Blake 7, but I'm also thinking Quark, if you remember that series. They go around doing salvage, and that's how they survive out there on the outer planets, which is, you know, illegal, but... You can make money off it, and so what? You know, somebody left it there. Well, for 2002, I thought it was a bit much with this episode, because you have to put things into time frames, you know, like place historical context of TV, and it was, it was a bit much. They got away with a lot of shit with that episode, uh, and, and a few others. Notice the Reavers in this are referenced in the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the Reavers are the same kind of Reavers because they certainly act the same way, except they're more brutal. And you know, I think those things are R-rated. You know, big, big Marvel galaxy. And uh, I, I think these Reavers that appeared in Firefly show are the same kind of Reavers. I think, if not the same Reavers. So there's that. Yeah, it, it, it could have been a stronger thing, but again, without the solid lead-in with the first missing episode. <laughs> of the series run we're just like popping things in and out but it is the most sci-fi of the series yes and true. it's also the most Blake 7 ish because mm. they were always going and finding you know planets and abandoned ships and whatever the hell else and again Star Trek as well they would always do that kind of thing as well and there is that bit of a mystery in space field that I always loved oh yeah so and yeah. and at the end they sort of I don't say redeem themselves but you know the enemy alliance guys out there trying to get them turn you in you stole the ship you're scavengers you're on the run but oh wait you just saved my life so okay I never saw you just get out of here <laughs> so alright there's that nice balance of okay well maybe these guys aren't so evil after all depending at least on a one on one basis so I like that it was actually a much better episode than the train job but again a strange episode to be your second episode if it was Shindig is actually probably I don't want to say my favorite but one of my favorite episodes mm, for sure that's a good one that's a good one yeah this is the one where they go down and Nara gets pulled in by a client and he's a rich shithead and he basically wants to go and have her as I want to say his trophy wife but he wants to keep her there and just you know that's it he's, he's going to go around with her for the rest of his life doing like little shitty parties on this planet or whatever now so not only is Mal upset because he's got something going on 
personality that he doesn't want to admit to. But they go down to the planet, and they've got all this finery there, because you know, it's a planet basically for rich folks and hookers and whatever the hell else. And she sees, like, this Western sort of... I think it's really tacky, but she thinks it's wonderful. And she wants to be this Disney princess thing as Kaylee. She winds up... I think Jane and Mal make fun of her for it. Like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. You're just a, a tomboy. What the hell are you can do in one of those dresses? And she gets all pissed off. And eventually they get dressed down by the other girls. So what happens is Mal goes, and sure enough, buys her the dress and escorts her to the party, which becomes a double problem because now they're there while this scumbag is trying to come on to Inara, and he gets pissed off, and he's has been a fist fight with him, which turns into a duel, and of course the guy's a dueling master. But this is also the episode with Larry Drake in it, and he becomes the second that kind of helps him out. Nice part for him, by the way. I was, I was very impressed with that. Well, you know, this this is the thing. You know, one of the one of the one of the things that probably cursed the show at the network. You know, after after they okayed it, paid it, and put up some money for it, is that it's very frank with its sexuality. Yes. And and you know, and one of our major characters here is a prostitute, an intergalactical prostitute. And and so she's very free about giving her body, and she, she's doing it for whatever the equivalent of money is over there. And and we know her and Mal have a backstory too. You know, it's always you know there. It's it's just like sometimes he get and you could tell he gets really pissed when she has to go with somebody or she just came back from someone, and you can almost feel it. He's so good at that. You know, like yeah, it's okay that kind of thing. But you know, it's not. And I but I think one again one of the things that curses the show is but it's like. Did anybody pay attention when he presented it to them? This is what it's about. I thought it was a really nice touch that here she is. She's trying to be this Disney princess or whatever. The girls that are actually there of money, you know, they've got much classier outfits than whatever. And they come over and they start mocking her like, oh, what are you doing here? I guess they let the trash in. Nice dress. You know, would you buy it off the rack? And this guy comes in. I, I, I thought he was Buddy Epson, but he was long <laughs> Buddy Epson lookalike comes in and starts dressing him down like, you cheap hooker, you know, I've seen you with like six other guys and let me tell your father about your reputation. Get out of here. He's come back. And ends up taking her over just to, you know, rescue her from their bitchiness. And it turns out that here's this tomboy that's, you know, out of place in this rich man's world. And she's really not because who ends up getting all these guys off the floor? She's got a big crowd around her talking, you know, gearhead shit to them because that's, you know, that's the guys what they like. So I thought that was a really nice touch to show that, you know, a lot of times you think that there's only one way to do things and there really isn't. And sometimes you're better off being the outsider in a given situation and you never know what might come up. You mm-hmm. might actually be the, the real draw the real bell of the ball she became the bell of the ball without trying to be it trying to play by their rules she failed but being herself there it was and I was like I really like this this is a good episode oh, yeah. it's always safe I like safe although it's all over the place <laughs> yeah safe is all over the place basically now they're doing cattle wrestling which is kind of strange but okay you know, it's a western they wind up in this kind of shootout thing with locals because there's all this backstabbing going on nobody ever wants to pay them they know they're on the run everyone's trying to scam each other over out here it is kind of the lawless west if you will in the meantime they have this whole thing about the two of them that I don't really care for the Tams are down there. I forget why he went in the first place. I think it had something to do with trying to find help for River or just get off the ship or whatever. Yeah, he's always trying to, to get help for River. He's always trying to seek a cure or, you know, something of that like. But he's down there, like, trying to help them out, the, the villagers, with some doctor shit, as well as trying to help her Did out. Did you feel this was a very Star Trek-y kind of episode? Yes. Yeah, it was very much akin to Star Trek Season 1 and 2, the original series. That's what's down to nowadays. <laughs> the original series, very Star Trek-y. And, and, and Nathan came off 
not so much a Kirk, but because uh, nobody could. <laughs> but it was a very Star Trekky episode, you know, including the thing where they punt a Pern River as a witch. Yes, they decided she's a witch because she's like crazy, so she starts saying lunatic stuff. After they loved her, you know, she's like dancing around the Maypole and doing mm. Mars dancing or whatever. And all of a sudden, one guy's like, "Oh yeah, well, what about this, this, and this?" And she starts blurting off all this incriminating sounding stuff, and they're like, "He's a witch," and they. <laughs> Instead of trying to burn her at the stake. So, yeah, it's it's a strange episode, but you're right. It's very Star Trekky. I wouldn't call it one of my favorites, but, yeah, it works. It works, yeah. So another one of my favorites, though, is our Mrs. Reynolds, which is the, the first of the Saffron episodes. Again, they wind up on another planet. And there's a big old celebration down there the villagers are having for them. I don't know, because they gave them what they wanted or whatever the hell the deal is. And everybody's dancing around, doing whatever. And apparently, I don't know if it's true or not because she's a scam artist, but it seems like during a dance that he does with the pretty girl, okay, turns out that, oh, by the way, you just did a marriage betrothal ceremony with her, and I'm your new wife. And this becomes a real thing because, of course, now Inara's pissed off at Mal. Like, oh, I thought you wanted me without saying so much. And she's really, like, working hard on the temptation strings. They're like, oh, well, you know, I'm your wife. I'll do whatever you want. And here, I, I heard this is supposed to be my wedding night. And she's laying there waiting for him, like, drops trow. And he's just like, um, I'm trying not to look. Uh, I really shouldn't be doing this. You know, I, didn't, I never tried to marry you. I sort of got somebody, whatever. And she's like, oh, okay, well, you can just send me back to the planet if I displease you. And yeah, it becomes really whatever. And then, of course, she gives him a kiss, and down he goes. like, yeah, sucker, I'm going to take your ship <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, you know, they find her out. And I think, once again, just like the next time she pops up, it is uh, Marina that takes her out. <laughs> Susses her out in the first place and takes her down. Really good episode, though. I enjoyed the hell out of this one. So what's your take? Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It was surprising to see her in this. Uh, she's still new at the time, so we're like, who is that? <laughs> And yeah, this is around the period she was just uh, becoming a name thingy in Mad Men. Yeah, she's stunning. And uh, it's it's funny when Nathan's Mal character is supposed to be this, how do we say it? Yeah, you know, he's, he's... He thinks he's unflappable, but he's not. He's unflappable. He thinks he's the world's best con artist and hero. And then somebody comes along and then like, boom, he gets taken. So... And he hates that would happen. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the funny thing about this one is, if I'm reading the name right, because you, know, you never know his name sometimes, it's the only episode in the entire series written by a woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true, true. So, but yeah, very, very good episode. One of my favorites for sure. Next up is Janestown, which is actually another firing all cylinders one. Now they're on another planet. Turns out that Jane is down there looking for some missing money. He was on a bank heist previously with an old partner and had let that guy get killed and lost the money along the way. So he's down there looking for it, thinking that he's still like on a wanted list. But it turns out that the local villagers found the money and made him into a folk hero. So they got songs about him and all this crap. And he has no idea how to handle it. He's got fanboys. And at one point, this other guy that he thought was dead comes up. And he's like, you know, you son of a bitch, what he did to my face? Because he's all fucked up from like, being on a fire and, you know, crashing out of an airplane or whatever the hell else. The village, one of the fanboys, goes and jumps in front of him and takes a bullet meant for him. And now he's totally like, okay, I don't know how to deal with this. And he confesses his real intentions or whatever, but then he just leaves the planet. It's not like he got his money back or anything. He just might have put some... Uh, reality back into their overly superstitious ways but again it says a lot about people and a lot about history and how we sort of build these mini hagiographies about people that in the end were just human i mean even you know my father died when i was young and i had a lot of stuff about him that 
you know, he was a good guy. He did a lot of good stuff, and he was good to me, but he was still just human, and he was really fucked up in a lot of ways. And it took me years to get past, oh, he died, he was, like, so great and perfect or whatever. Not that he was perfect, but into realizing that, well, yeah, he was kind of screwed up in a lot of ways, and ultimately he was just as human and dopey as me and everybody else, you know. And I think that that's an important thing for everybody, a lesson for everybody to learn, is that, you know, everybody that you put on a pedestal, everybody you think is whatever, you should, as Sonic Youth put it, kill your idols. You know, you, you're not really becoming an adult, you're not learning, you're not progressing spiritually until you're able to get past having heroes and still being okay with that. Like, okay, well, yeah, they're human, but I don't hate them now for it, and I'm not, like, disillusioned and walk around staring at my feet. It's like, oh, no, I'm okay with that. They're human, I'm human, whatever. You know, I'm getting by. And I think that's what this episode was really about, and I really appreciated that, so. Oh, yeah, it's really good. And uh, Adam Baldwin, who we kind of made a little bit of goofy fun of earlier, but not so much, <laughs> uh, was really good in this. And, uh, you know, the guy the guy can rise to the occasion. Um, he did. Really? Yeah. Good episode. Nothing negative to say about this one. Uh, speaking of Kill Your Idols, Keith Richards stopped smoking. Really? Yeah, that's... that's At age, what, 75? What the hell is he? Six. <laughs> wow. But that's the thing, though. Like, what? Yeah. I don't know. Well, <laughs> Anyway, Out of Gas <laughs> is next. Yeah, Out of Gas... Okay, this is an interesting one because you feel like it's almost the end of the series. Basically, they have a problem on the ship and the life support system goes out and it becomes a thing where Mal wants to go down with the ship and save everybody else and of course Nara doesn't want to leave him and his right hand woman Zoe doesn't want to leave him and it becomes this whole big thing at the end another crew comes aboard and says okay well I'm not here dying in space with my ship I'll let you aboard and you know you, you can help me out or whatever and it turns out they just want to salvage the ship and kill him off and mysteriously there comes people back he's like what the hell are you doing back here why'd you come back from? why don't you save yourselves well you know that's where they kind of admit that oh we're all a family not a great episode but a strange one in that it comes in the middle of the series you would think that would be more of a closer or towards the end yeah you know i have problems with this this episode there are there flashbacks yeah it's almost like it was like was this supposed to be the end of the run oh yeah this was the flashback episode i was mentioning before with serenity so some of the stuff that i was telling you about in the serenity episode was mm. in this one yeah yeah it, it, this is like was this designed to be like the last episode where, where things happen with the characters that that's what i thought yeah you know what's going on i don't want to delve too much in uh, what, what is known as episode eight out of gas because i think people should see it but i don't want to give too much away about it but yeah, there's a couple more to go before the actual end of the show. They had a few more of these. Ariel's next. Yeah, so uh, Ariel's the name of a planet, not a person. Again, they're still trying to fix his schizophrenic sister, River Tam. So Dr. Simon and uh, everybody smuggles her up down to this hospital planet, and it's right in the middle of Alliance territory. So everybody's like, you're fucking crazy. There's no way. Yeah. Sure enough, they decide to do it. The operation gets botched, not by what they were doing, but because Jane is a shithead and trying to make some money for himself by turning them all in for uh, what he thinks is going to be a big payoff. But of course, you know, being what they are, the government pals that he's talking to try to turn him in as well. And so they all have to break out together. And at the end, there's one, it was a long time coming, I guess, but it was kind of a nasty sequence between him and Mal, where he leaves him in the airlock, and he gets him to admit that he was a traitor. And basically, he's like, you know what, I think I'm going to leave you out there, but all right, you promise you're never going to do this shit again, because if you ever do, that's it, I'm going to shoot you out the airlock, fuck you. And he's like, okay, I won't, I won't, I won't. And then he lets him back in after a bit. <laughs> 
you know, kind of leaves him out there to stew, but he gives him his air. I, I, I had a problem with this one because, you know, you start to like Jane and the character. From the other episode, yeah. From the other episode. And, and they just slowly do these little things, you know, because they're, they're – You con- think they would do this before that. Right. You think they would do this before that because suddenly you, you actually like Jane a little bit more. You're, you're actually trying to figure out the tra- trajectory of this character's arc. And, and then three they, steps back. And then, yeah, three, four, or five steps back. And then, <laughs> then, then it's like, what? Oh, he's a dick. He's, a, you know, like, yep. put him, put him out the airlock. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a problem with again showing things out of order. War stories is next. Yes, so now this is the one I mentioned earlier where Wash, okay, he's upset the whole time, throughout the whole series, about this relationship that Zoe has with Mel. And he's thinking, like like I said earlier, the one line he has that's famous, I forget what episode it's from, I've been from here, where he says, you know, this marriage needs one less husband. So he decides, you know, I'm always hearing all these war stories about you two, and you just got so joined at the hip from this shit. I want to go on a mission. You always leave me here on ship because I'm the pilot. Bullshit. I want to go down and be part of this. I want to have some kind of war story to celebrate or whatever. All right, reluctantly, they bring him down. And sure enough, it's that same jerk, Niska, from the uh, train job episode who kidnaps the Mal and him and starts torturing them both. And while they're being tortured, there's this sort of, it's not homoerotic, but this kind of male bonding moment where they're kind of like cursing at each other. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll bet you always wanted to sleep with her. Well, when I get back to the ship, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to rip her clothes off and get it out of my system and whatever. And back and forth, just trying to more or less keep each other alive and conscious so that they can get through the torture. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, shaking some of this crap out. And when they get back, of course, it's a big joke. And, you know, him and Zoe like, okay, yeah, you, we're going to do it now. All right. Mm, oh, yeah, this is going to be hot. And they just kind of look at each other and laugh, and finally wash gangster ways. Like, okay, we're going to have sex now. <laughs> that was the end of it. That was the uh, end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a throwaway episode. It's just, you know, okay, they got some of that stuff out in the air and dealt with it. It could have been done in another episode. It could have been done another way, but whatever. You know, it, it's, it's in neutral. It's, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Trash follows. Trash is another good one. Yeah, Not as good is. as the first time you saw her, but it's another Saffron episode. Okay, well, now she wants them to help out in a robbery. And he's like, are you crazy? It turns out that the guy that she's helping him to liberate this jeweler at hell from is another guy that she married. Because every time he sees her, she's married to somebody else. Mm. So they basically managed to do what they had to do. Once again, she bamboozles the guy and <laughs> leaves him sitting there naked in the middle of the desert on this planet by himself while she takes the stuff and runs away. Somehow, it winds up in a dumpster. She's digging through a dumpster at the end. Obviously, he gets rescued. There's this big joke where he's kind of walking on the ship, buck naked, and giving orders, and everybody's trying not to snicker too loud. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and he's standing there like, ah, yes, I'm, I'm a man, or whatever. Winker <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> Which is actually pretty funny. At the end, she's digging through the dumpster, and uh, Nora pops up out of nowhere. It's like, ah, good place for you. You're finally where you belong. And shuts the dumpster lid on her and leaves her there, which was great. I, I did like that a lot. Was it as good as the first episode? No, not by far. But it was still a nice one. And once again, it's one of the reasons why I sort of include her among the regular cast, even though she was only in there twice, because she made such an impression in her two episodes. I bet. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Christina Hendricks returns uh, as the same character, Saffron. Uh, it's a fun episode. It's quirky. Well, it's a quirky show. It's, it's yeah. I remember him walking around naked. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I never gets to save him. 
And so there's that whole big thing, like, hmm, the great big romance, it's always alluded to that we know it's, it's going on, but it's not going on, it's going on, it's not going on. Right. It gets so close every time. It's I know, my head hurts more, thinking about it. The message follows. The message is one of my least favorites. Mm. This one here, they get this thing in the mail. So if you want to say, okay, this mail for the spaceships. And it turns out to be the body of one of their fellow brown coats from back in the day. And he wants it delivered to his family or some shit. And it turns out that, oh, surprise, this guy's still alive. And he's smuggling organs inside himself. Don't ask me. It's weird science fiction. But because of things being the way they are, of course, he turns coat and tries to kill them all and whatever else. Meantime, Kaylee decided, okay, fuck Dr. Tam here. I'm going to go after this guy. And they sort of develop a at least a flirtatious relationship, you know, sharing secrets and all the intimate and whatever else. And now, of course, he not only betrays her, but I think he shoots her uh, as part of her thing to get out of there. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, so oh, whatever. It's just, in the end, he dies, and fuck him, and why do we even watch this episode? <laughs> it's definitely, like, one I could have thrown right in the garbage. And this was one of the ones that I saw first, where I'm like, yeah, this series really isn't that good. What's everybody talking about? Well, well, here's the thing, too. This is, to put it in some kind of weird perspective, imagine Star Trek late season three, the final season of the original series, where the week, sh- week episodes... And, no money. Yeah, and, and and this is kind of commiserate to that. It's it's its focus is kind of not tight. It's kind of loopy and it's kind of goofy. And it was pretty much one of the last ones shown after they already canceled it. They showed three or four episodes. All right, put the, let's try to put this in in some kind of perspective. This thing aired in uh, mid September two thousand two. And it ran through mid-December, okay? And then at some point, weekly, once a week, and at some point they decided they, that they wanted to cancel it. But they yeah, said, I don't think they even aired this episode. No, they, they eventually did in the summer. So people try, you know, I remember, folks, we talked about this a few times during the, the intro. They showed a lot of these out of order. And so what happened was somewhere in, at some point in time, the network decided, fuck this, we don't like the show, we're not supporting the show. And Josh Whedon says, but we've got like five more to show. He said, you're not making any more, it's canceled. So it goes off the air mid to late December 2002. It shows up in July for three or four more episodes, which the last one I think is telecast in August. The very last episode, episode was telecast in December. <laughs> wow. And during the early run, this is how this thing worked out. So, yeah, the message was not really uh, uh, just, it, it, again, I, I, I think it's akin to a season three original series Star Trek episode. It was kind of weak, but, you know, it's nobody's fault. So, you know, not everything's gold. We got yeah. that. Heart of Gold is next, speaking of. Heart of Gold was also not very good. Another one, again, this is the last disc that I saw originally. I'm like, these episodes are really shitty. And they actually are the worst of the series, which is why I didn't get into it. This one, though, is probably the best of the three, sadly enough. Inara has a friend who set up a independent thing. They're not really companions because they're not under Alliance protection. So effectively, she even says it, they're just horse. You know, they're not companions. One of them is Mindy Clark from Return of the Living Dead 3. You know, the one with all the piercings and stuff? Mm-hmm. After she's dead, she puts all the spikes through and all that. I thought she was hot back then. 
Here, okay, she's attractive enough, but she's a lot older, a lot thicker. And not bad, not bad. You know, yeah, I mean, she's not horrible or anything. It's just you like, gotta grab onto those that ass, you know? <laughs> it, it's not like majorly appealing. You're, you're not talking about Marina Baccarin, you're not talking about Christina Hendricks here, you're like, yeah, okay, well, she's alright, I guess. And the whole thing is that Mal has this well, okay, it turns from more of an affortation. He gets drunk and he fucks her. But uh, there you go. the whole thing is that he's there protecting the whorehouse because apparently one of the rich patrons nearby has a problem with his wife where she's, I guess, frigid or not frigid, uh, what do they call that? Infertile. Mm. And he's going to have the last of his line because he discovers that the whore that he frequents all the time, who is, of all people, Nancy Drew from Canada, Tracy Ryan, I remember mm-hmm. that 90s series that was short-lived, is now older and weirder looking and having his baby. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> she's there and he's trying to go and like basically bust up the whorehouse and take her out so they can have her kid continue his lineage or whatever. And that's the whole fucking show. So there they are. They're in the whorehouse. They're sort of trying to protect him. He's getting seduced by this one here and sleeping with her. Uh, and Nara gets really pissed off at both of them for it. And eventually... They save this girl. Actually, they don't even really save her. She saves herself. She pulls out a shotgun and blows the guy away. So it was all kind of pointless, except in just a little more dramatic tension, if you will, between their relationship. And I think it's also at the end of this episode that she says, you know what? I decided to make it easy because it looks like they're finally going to have something going on. They have a real conversation. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to make life easy for you. I'm glad that you finally got something with her. And uh, I'm going to leave the ship. And that's basically, they, they do something else, but that's how the episode ends. And sure enough, you don't see anything about her in the last episode, so the next time you see her is in Serenity, when she is, in fact, off ship. So this was the end of Anara. I'm like, what the hell? So it's actually a really, I don't want to say a bad episode, but it's not. And this whole last disc was shit. I'm glad they didn't air them, man. <laughs> Seeing them first was a really a major thing for keeping me from finding out how good a series this was before that. Yeah, it's a very strange one. Not a great episode. Uh, not, I didn't dislike it as much as you did. Again, this was air, aired in August 2003, so way after the network decided to cancel the show. It was like, well, we're just going to put these on. Nobody watches shit during the summer anyway kind of thing. <laughs> The very last episode in the series, oh. Objects in Space, and and yeah. it was shown six months earlier. I mean, the, the, this was like a train wreck ready to happen. I, yeah. I, I mean, I hesitate. You and I are doing this podcast show. We've done a lot of stuff over the years. There are people really, really hardcore into the show, and they probably even know shit we don't know. I'm sure some of them kind of like delve deeply into this stuff and research why this happened so the very last episode in the run was shown six months earlier into the run <laughs> it's 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 the most bizarre thing ever almost yeah. and it's a terrible episode not as bad as the message the message was by far the worst episode of the series i will go on record yeah well, i think we pretty much agreed on it was a weak one yeah but this is probably the second weakest this one here the entire episode is focused around this bounty hunter his black dude reminded me of, uh, you remember that, what was it, not Red River, what was the, Red Dwarf, was that it? Yeah, The British Red series? Dwarf. He reminds me of the guy from Red Dwarf. I thought it was him, I don't know if it was or not, but, and he comes on, and basically his whole shtick is to play quiet, but sort of cool in the sense of, like, he seems effeminate, 
and yet you think he's also a crazy serial killer, and he kind of plays it that way, like, okay, well, I really don't want to hurt you, but, you know, if you make me do it, I can go in. You know, he goes, like, to the girls, he actually threatens that he's going to rape them. He's like, but that would be distasteful. I'm not really into girls or whatever. And, you know, if I had to do something to you, I would slash your face into a whole bunch of pieces and, you know, stick a knife up your gut, but I don't want to do that. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. You don't want to make me mad. And I'm like, and that's the whole thing for the entire fucking episode is about him doing this. And he does the one girl after another. He terrorizes Kaylee. He terrorizes Inara. He terrorizes whatever. And he's looking for Summer Glau, that river tam through the whole thing. And basically, he's one of these alliance people, a bounty hunter, just trying to make money off of this. Meantime, she has, I don't think she's overcome the schizophrenia yet, but she's become more this, like, I can read your mind and all this shit. And she's discovered that the whole ship is fighting over her, and they really want uh, her and Dr. Tam off because they keep attracting alliance attention and getting them in trouble and not really contributing oh, anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe she get the hell off the ship. But, you know, there's kind of arguments back and forth about this. So she picks up on this, like being empathic or whatever, and winds up hiding outside the ship in a spacesuit the whole time while this guy's going around like a serial killer, going and threatening everybody and locking them up and whatever. And that's all it is, this psychological torture for the entire episode until she decides to come over to speakers of the ship, pretend she's inside the ship like she took it over mentally or something and torture him back and eventually he goes up being like a whimpering baby or whatever the hell goes off into his own ship thinking that she's there and that's it i, I think she i don't know what the hell she sets some kind of booby trap for him and then she comes back in the ship and that's the end of the episodes the end of the series i'm like this sucks so those three episodes were the first thing i saw when i tried the series per se i'm like yeah, well, I don't know what the fuck everybody's talking about. These mm. people suck. The yeah. show sucks. They're all out of their minds. <laughs> so, um, it's weird. It's freaky. It's it's the kind of subject matter we used to see in early '80s exploitation movies, in a way. Oh, you think of like Fight for Your Life or something like that? Yeah, like when the guy comes on, comes along and like you know, such terrorizing people. Male and home invasion shows. Yeah, home invasion shows. You know, home invasion movies, and um, you know it's kind of quirky in that way. And they get that she's outside because she wants to save her own life as well. Because you know, fourteen episodes out of a assumed they had originally wanted to do twenty two, twenty five, twenty nine, whatever the average was in these days. I think it was about that. Um, before I got they got the axe, so. We don't, we don't know the trajectory, the the rest of the uh, how how the characters would have developed, grown, or whatever, become less annoying, more annoying, whatever for some people. This is a very weird, weird way to end the on-air thing, as planned, but that it was shown so early in the run, totally, totally. You know, it, it, again, I. I, I I don't want to be on uh, repeat, repeat, repeat. But again, this was sh- <laughs> this is like one of the first five or six, seven episodes shown out of fourteen, and then they took a break for six months, and they showed like four others. From what I'm seeing, Joss Whedon had wanted this to end, this, and that was the last one they filmed, and it should have been the last one you saw instead of being one of the first ones you saw. So, yeah, I can see where it would turn people off, trying to turn people onto it. Very strange thing. It's just dark. It's too dark, and it's too bizarre. 
You can't. It's weird too. Yeah, it's... if you're thinking that these three episodes are going to be ending the series, even even if it was just the first season, right? It's like okay, you had ten episodes prior that were basically pure gold. I mean, if you listen back, we basically both loved almost all of those episodes. Right. Some really, really loved, and all of a sudden you get these three episodes that are just like shit to absolute shit. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? Why would they end the series like that? Or why would they even end the season like that? So I don't know where they would have went with this, to be honest with you. I'm sure it wasn't where they went with Serenity. <laughs> oh, no, no, and, and that's next. <laughs> so about two or three years after Firefly was unceremoniously dropped from the airwaves, the strong sales and fan reaction led to the green lighting of a film that was supposed to continue and tie all the loose ends of the TV series, and... It really didn't. The film is all about fucking River Tan, the schizo mind reader that here turns into Superwoman and Ninja Assassin for the government. Apparently, the Alliance discovers she may have read the minds of some high poobah muckety mucks, so they send out another guy after her. Very similar to the first guy, just not as crazy and annoying. This time he's more like converted, like a religious type. Uh, like, oh yes, so the really alliance says is true. You know, he's definitely mind fucked, but he's not insane and with the homosexual overtones and whatever like the other assassin had. Doctor Simon throws a fit meantime and demands that he and his sister be let off at the next port after they have a close call with some reavers during a bank robbery. A very pointless intro that was only put in to start the film with some bad CG action. You know how they like again nowadays they don't like exposition. Mm. They want to start you off in the middle. They want to start you off with some action. So you don't get bored because right. they figure you'd be staring at your cell phones or whatever if they told you it was going to happen. Yeah, so I hate that kind of writing, but you know, nonetheless, whatever. So this is where she sees the ad with a subliminal message in it that I mentioned earlier and starts doing all this wire work bullshit, probably just so that she makes enough of a scene so that the Alliance can find her. That was the idea. So when they find this out from some geek married to a sex toy... I'm not kidding you. They hit the Shepherd Books village. No, he was never on board from the start of the movie, which turns out they've been wiped out by the government. So you never even see the guy. Anara had also left the ship the last time we saw her in the series, like I mentioned. And her new home is also a target, though Mal rescues her and gets her back on the ship in time. Okay, good. So now they head to a planet whose existence has been hidden by the Alliance. Almost feels kind of Mass Effect. They hid this planet in the hopes that Nobody would be able to track him there, including the Alliance. But there's a reason that this planet is hidden. And this is actually the best part of the film, sadly enough. Because here's where it really gets Ghosts of Mars, which we talked in our John Carpenter show and more extensively in our Pam Greer show, done right. Apparently the planet is off the map so that no one discovers the Alliance scientists were actually at fault for creating the Reavers in the first place with the intent of sedating the populace into submission so they could retain total control. Something you also see in Scooby Apocalypse. I mean, Keith Gibson fans out there. <laughs> that, that is awesome. It's awesome series, at least in the beginning. Get volume five if you're reading the trades. Forget everything else. Instead, they made everyone super violent cannibals who carve weird shit in their skin and wear their victim bones or whatever. So now they have the proof, and they decided to do a mass broadcast to the galaxy to expose the government's malfeasance to the people. You know this was before Trump, because the assumption was that the people would be horrified and rise up, not support his crimes and call us a pansy and threaten them with violence because they aren't also on board the Trump train. But anyway, after discovering even more alliance-caused deaths, the geek and sex toy also are now dead. So don't forget now. They've killed Inara's people, they've killed Book's people and him, they've killed this guy in a sex story. There's just like mass murders in this film. They managed to convert the brainwashed loon who the Alliance had sent after River Tam and broadcast the truth to everyone. But again, another murder for no reason whatsoever. They're sitting there, it's the end of the film. Blam! Somebody shoots Wash while he's talking to him. So, okay, another death. Yay! Other than killing off a couple of the crew members, the only things that really wound up tied up by this film were the quote mystery of River and finally getting Kaylee and Dr. Simon to fuck. 
I'm not kidding you. It looks like the Captain Mal slash Inara thing may have progressed, but then again, the way they wrote it, it could just as easily be seen as status quo. The end, and forever apparently, not exactly what Firefly fans were expecting or hoping for here. There's too many deaths, though not necessarily the ones you might have expected. Too much really bad CG. I was shocked. I'm like, wow, these things, especially in the beginning with the Reavers, and you see like the transport coming in, I'm like... This looks like shit. The TV series looked better, which is jaw-dropping to admit, and the whole film just feels kind of aimless. There's too much action for its own sake, too much killing for its own sake, not enough characterization or interplay. It's essential as part of the series because it does tie up some major plots, but it should never have been sold as a standalone, much such the final episode of the series. You know, here's the thing. You know, if you really have... Your show goes off the air, and then you you realize you have a huge fucking fan following. I mean, big, big time. And all of a sudden, people want you back in the year, and, and, you know, you got no support from the network, and then it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. And I guess, I guess you're smart. I guess you're, you know, you were smart enough to make the show. You were smart enough, savvy enough to write some really good scripts and get some good people together and cast it really well to the best of your abilities. You do not kill off some of your beloved characters. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. Because yeah. let's say this, this this movie with its faults actually did well, reached the people it was supposed to reach, brought more people in, despite its despite its problems. And and where you're gonna go from that? You can't do another one because you killed off some of the most beloved characters. It's like and left the shittiest ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, and here's the thing. So Josh Whedon won the budget of 100. Universal said, no, we'll give you under 40. That being said, the budget for the effects was considerably smaller than the one for the TV show. Can you believe this? It's a feature film. And it shows. And it shows. It was shot over, these guys worked hard, 50 10-hour days. So, you know, the Bond movie, they took a year making the latest Bond movie, like a year. 50 10-hour days. That's like. Boom, a little over a month and a half and long, long days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, come on. You know, guys, it's like they said okay to the movie, but they're like, it was like reluctant. Yeah, they cheaped out. They cheaped out. It was, it was reluctant. And, and it shows. You know, I, I, saw this thing, I saw this thing in the theater. I was, yes, I did, because I was kind of excited. And um, it's not horrible, though. You know, it's, it's no. nice to see everybody back. It's Yeah, it's got some main... Major problems, um, and <laughs> and the and, but Josh went on from here. Josh Whedon went on from here. He did Cabin in the Woods, a film I name checked earlier, which you really need to see if you haven't. Then we can discuss it. Yeah. And then he did the first Avengers film, and then he did the second Age of Ultron, which I I have problems with. I will admit. A lot of people have problems with that one, yeah. And then he did Justice League after Zack Snyder uh, had a death in the family, had a withdrawal from the film, and it's a problem film. But he hasn't done anything since. But you know, he did he did work on these these movies. And uh, but you know, thanks 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 for creating Firefly, Josh Whedon. Yeah, I mean the fact that there was ten episodes that were that good and eleven that were decent. And even still, even with the the three bad episodes or whatever, yeah, they weren't all the worst you know there's definitely parts of them that worked serenity was not the wrap-up that we all wanted by any means but it did help continue the series it felt a little bit more closure than just left off at the the end of objects of space if that's where he dropped it problem with doing what he did in serenity was 
never say never. You can always bring something back. But when you kill off some of your, well, we know that Ron Glass passed away, but you could always reboot something or continue it. And you don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't kill off like a, a really beloved character. I really like Alan Tudyk's character. You know, we had what yeah. 50, less than fifteen episodes to work with, but we like that guy. And yeah. so. Yeah. And Alex Shepard. <laughs> yeah, like if if you want to bring it back, well, how can you? You you've already killed him. But you know, never say never. Have you seen the last of Firefly? You never know. But this is this is our Firefly episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think that Reed himself said that he would always be open to write or do another one. It's just you know, with all these actors that still you know weren't already killed off, be willing to do it at such so long a remove. So it's unlikely, but you never know. You know I doubt it, but who knows? The the allure of money always changes things. This is true. <laughs> I never thought I'd see a Doom Patrol series. Let's put it that way. Okay. It's done well. I gotta check that uh, out. Yeah. Yeah, I forget what channel it's on. We saw it through the DVD set, but yeah, really, really good. Surprisingly so. So, thanks for joining us tonight. Yes. We hope you enjoyed our unusual little drawing room chat on Firefly and Serenity. Next time, we'll be doing Burt Reynolds of all yeah, people. Yeah, that'd be after fun. All, yes. After all the times that uh, I've said certain things about him, nonetheless, he does have a career that I enjoy a lot of films out of, so there we go. <laughs> so, if you'd like to enjoy it. If you'd like to join us here. Yes, if you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician who'd like to join us in here, drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1. We're also on Podbean itself, thirdeyecinema.podbean.com. And we're on iTunes. Better off looking us up under Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. But if you're a particular, the ID over there is 553-402-044. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, brought to you by the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network now on Podbean. So uh, anything else you want to close out on? No, uh, thanks for listening to the show, as always. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. And uh, we do try to do things outside the box and uh, have fun with it. And uh, This was certainly one of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if we didn't do character actors and directors and just iconic TV shows like this one that cult TV shows and, and the like and you know it keeps us spiffy you know we're, like, we're bouncing in the ring here you know and it, it's a lot of fun we enjoy doing this Burt Reynolds you know a lot of people give him shit he's done a lot of really good movies and he actually has a lot of good performances in that big he mockers batch of stuff including a very unusual last bittersweet role right before he passed away where he looked terrible, the result of uh, a combination of the drugs he's been taking for his pain and like a stroke or something. But we'll more on that later. That should be up in a month or so, I guess. After we record it. We've got to watching all the stuff recorded. Yeah, yeah. But again, thanks for listening to the show and thanks for joining us. All right. So we'll see you next time. Thanks again.
funny because you mentioned bands not having websites and things like that. Actually, even labels that I deal with a lot of times don't have a website, or they only have a website and no Twitter presence, or it's it's strange. And then you get the thing where you know we used to both. I'm sure a lot of people out there got stuff from Japan, got stuff from Europe, got stuff from yeah. England. Well, now with Brexit and God knows what else is going on. All of a sudden, it's getting tougher because, you know, Europe, they used to ship through Germany and other places to get a cheap shipping rate to you. Right. Now it's like the price is skyrocketed. I'm like, what the hell is this? We are talking about $20 shipping. So a lot of that stuff is ending. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, case in point, uh, I'm related to music. Um, those guys in England uh, that do the books, fair press. Oh, yeah. They used to love that. Yeah, I mean, just out there, they did an Argento book, which I haven't got my mittens on yet. And um, they just did something with Jimmy McDonough, uh, a rewrite of the Ghastly one. It's like an expanded edition, which Nicholas, whatever his fucking name is, Reffin, put some money out there. So they put this elaborate thing. It's like hundreds of dollars now. I'm like, and the Argento book is, is, is like 150 bucks. I'm like, guys, come on. Yeah. I get it. You know, it costs money to make a book. I understand that of all people. But when when you price it out of the range, you know. Everything is going to this weird collector's market where it's people that are, I don't know, independently wealthy or something. And they're the only ones that can be able to buy any sort of physical media, whether it be books or uh, DVDs, Blu-rays or oh, CDs. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. And one last thing, you know, I... I Comics I'm finally, I'm, I'm finally not dire financially for a little while at least. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I got a long ass list. Let me cherry pick and I'll look on eBay. Maybe you know, so there's a lot of people that buy shit and they just don't like it and they resell it. Yeah. What is the thing with sleeves? Empty case. Yep. Sleeve. No disc. I've seen that. I'm like, what the hell? Apparently, this is a big thing now where people don't want. The DVDs or whatever, without those little cardboard sleeves they put around. Okay, you know they're nice looking, but I can take them and leave them. But and now they're selling. They're them. selling them separate. Yeah, I'm like, what are you crazy? <laughs> what that? It's like fifteen, twenty bucks, maybe even higher. It's equivalent oh. to selling empty boxes to uh, figures when they're when they're still collecting figures. People yeah. would do that. Oh yeah, this one's still got the part, the leg in or something. Or they would take the part to build the figure part out. I'm like, well, what if you wanted both? I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I there's a lot of things like uh, I now mainly it's Severn product and of course the geniuses at Code Red. Yes. Um, oh God, let's not talk about that. <laughs> but I'm like, what is this? Surprised they haven't you know, gotten sued. Yeah, but I'm like twenty bucks and I almost bought something and then I looked harder. So, oh wait a minute, it has no Blu-ray. <laughs> I'm like no disc, no disc. I'm like, holy shit, who would buy this? But I guess people do. I, it um, may come up a little bit when we're talking later just because of somebody that's involved, but mm. just off the topic there, did you see the Doom Patrol yet? No. Oh, you got to see that. It is, hands down, the best of these comic book adaptations I've ever seen. In the sense, me? yes, in the sense that Franco was a the best interpreter of Sod. You know, it's not literal mm. necessarily, but it takes Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, which... I never thought anybody would even try to adapt because it's so fucked up and Dadaist and surrealist and, you know, out in outer space here, and makes it work. And it's like, whoa, okay, this CG almost works. They actually pulled this off. And I was just sitting there, you know, gobsmacked. It's like, oh, they get this. 
here's a character I hated, Crazy Jane, and they made her the focus of the show, and I love her. I mean, it's it was really, really good. Yeah, everything's not perfect, if you know the series, mm. but mm. damn, I was like, wow. I'm actually very, very impressed for the first time, probably ever since. The only one that was close was Constantine. Constantine really impressed me. But this well, you is know, like, it's it's yeah, I will check it out. I'll put it on my list. Um, I have this tendency for, I don't know, I turn around like, oh, this has been on for six years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's ninth year. I, uh, oh, I'll catch up later. <laughs> or like the show we're about to talk to tonight with me that was, uh, let's see, 17, 18 years. It took about yeah. 17 years before I got into this series. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a teaser for you guys. <laughs> there's a teaser. And, um, and, and, you know, okay, Supernatural, right? Okay. The one I tried with you, maybe you'll get on board later on. Who knows? We'll see. So it's in its 15th and last live year right now on TV, TV, CW, I think. And so I don't know. I think the guys were even at a show once, once that I worked, and I didn't pay any mind to them because we didn't do anything with them. And uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're from that show. And I don't know. I caught up on a lot of Netflix stuff, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this for the 14th time. You know. <laughs> They're really not putting a lot of new stuff on there. No, uh, actually, the other day, I was so bored. I was like, oh, Nighthawks. And I hadn't watched that in years. And I really enjoyed it again. I found out, I'd forgotten how good that was. It actually was. It's you really talked about that in Stallone show, people. Yeah, we did. Yeah, really good. So I start watching this thing called Supernatural. I'm like, okay, first season's all right. Second season's improving. Third season, I got Hulk. And I'm like, what is this stuff? Crowley and, and rituals and like really? someone knows what they're doing here and bloodletting and blood shrinking and then flesh eating. And we're not talking in the zombie sense. We're talking like I need a fix. They just bring in all this stuff from uh, – and then I the thing I love because I know the X-Files used to do this and three guys who are kind of ex- exiled from the X-Files kind of worked on this show. And so they, they, for a while there, they got heavy-handed with the, this is, I'm Romero, I'm Carpenter, we're detectives. They, you guys don't look like detectives. Oh. <laughs> so they do a lot of that, but now it's just, I'm in six, I'm in six now, year six, and I'm like, oh, you guys are fucked up. <laughs> what season did they start doing all this crawling stuff? About three and four. Okay. And then they now. added a character. They added a character who they call Crowley, who's not our Crowley, but he's got a lot of influences, and he was uh, killed and buried in Ireland where his bones are, but he sold his soul, and in order to stay around, he does many deals. And like one guy, one of the brothers went to hell for <laughs> for a, an unbelievable amount of time. We can't even figure it out, okay? And he did terrible things, and terrible things happened to him. And the, allude, the alluding to that is like, oh, are we going to go there? And um, the, he came back because he was ripped from hell by angels who are twisted. <laughs> so I'm like, right away, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of digging this now. Now, the other brother, who was like the geeky brother and the, the no, I wouldn't say geeky, but, you know, maybe like, the, the sensitive brother. He, you know he's the one on the dark side. And and he actually went to hell. He was dragged to hell by uh, Michael, the arch, arch archangel. Archangel. And um, except they ripped his soul out. <laughs> so he comes back. He don't give a fuck about nothing. Wow. And, and I'm like, 
wow, they're going to write this guy out of the show, but I guess not. He's still around. So I'm like, this is really interesting. And of all places to put this kind of shit in, have you seen the last seasons of Legend of Tomorrow? Where they brought no, John Constantine in? John Constantine's a regular member now. And hell came to Earth. and all this. It's crazy. It's full yeah. of laughs, obviously, but wow. Yeah, I mean, happens. it's just... This, the, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're ever going to get around to it, but, you know, maybe one day you could watch one or two and, like, ah, oh, Lewis, I don't know, he's crazy, but it's the thing that happened with me. If you stay with it for a while and just push it a little bit, then you don't have to. Then you're like, hey, this is kind of addictive. And those interested in all this subject matter, we did a very strange and unusual Third Eye special very recently that may be to your liking. So uh, I would suggest you look it up if you are interested in this sort of subject matter. Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. So, uh, yeah, so test this and uh, let me know how it sounds and then we'll get going. Okay. All right. Every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. 
This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving Towards Life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the Katie, the career, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> 